Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and uh, uh, we're. I'm gonna apologize because we're slightly late because of my fault because I got sick and I lost my voice and I'm still trying to get it back. So um, bear with me today, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're here. We're getting it done. So this week's episode is Final Destination. And we had this whole plan to do Final Destination 1 and 2 into one episode, because they're kind of, like, the most related ones, I guess, back-to-back. Yeah, yeah they're, they're based off... Um, yes, they go together. They're out of, like, the rest of them. And we do know that one of them technically ends up being a prequel to number one, but we're not worried about that one right now. So, uh, but what we're doing instead, we're just going to break it up into two smaller episodes... Uh, one, to preserve poor Katie's voice, and two, because I'm tired of making two-hour-long episodes. So, uh, But we will release them one week apart, so you won't have to wait forever to get it done. And uh, we will kind of just dive right into it, if you're ready. Oh, weird side note. Uh, I've been watching Riverdale, the, like, CW thing. The season's coming out soon august 19th i think is what it just said so it's out i don't know possibly who knows 20, so is it mm-hmm. i don't i don't know um but i'm watching season six right now and i hadn't seen it before and it's like this whole parallel universe rivervale thing it is fucking dark but um so far they've covered two horror movies in each of the episodes which is pretty neat um one of them, they did like a midsummer theme, mm-hmm. which, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another one, they've done the La La Llorona myth, oh, okay, yeah. which yeah. is also based, uh, got turned into a movie last year, I think. A few years ago, actually. There's a few different ones, too. There's a bunch of different ones. Listen, it's all in COVID era. It all counts as one year. Okay. We're yeah. still in COVID era as far as I'm concerned. No, I'm no, just kidding. We're not. That's fair. We are one week past COVID era because I have been one week cleared of COVID. So <laughs> there you go. Oh, that was another fun story. I went over seas or I went on a trip to Puerto Rico and came home and immediately got diagnosed with COVID. So that's another reason we're a little bit late. <laughs> we're so good at this. I'm going to repeat. <laughs> we were thriving during COVID shut down and now we're just falling apart <laughs> so yeah pretty much pretty much but all right we will get right into it so final destination the very first one came out in 2023 years ago i had to think about it because for a second i thought it was 2024 23 years ago oh. yeah wow that makes me f- I, this movie came out when i was five and i remember seeing it at a very young age oh that's um, you know what i didn't even relate it to being like that old you're right i was in (laughs) first grade wow it doesn't look like it's that old you know what i mean or maybe it doesn't look like it's that old because we've been watching it since we were little i don't know i I feel like older though but at the same time i think of men in black and it's not that it doesn't look that old in my eyes yeah it's weird who knows nevertheless 23 years old it's a great movie. It's an Academy. Uh, it's an Academy of Science, fan, uh, Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films winner for 2001 Best Horror Film, and 
I understand why. This movie scared a lot of people, and especially the second one, but we'll get into that later. It came out of the gate with a lot of hype, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. And you hadn't really seen any movie that had did, done something like this before. Yeah, nothing had been did done like this before. Exactly. Is that what I said? Shit, I'm sorry. No, well, you you were going in one direction and it came out that way, so I'm just going to make fun of you because I can. It's fine. I'm, uh, I, I, I will allow this. My brain is still slightly um, kerfuffled. But, uh, you know, we're coming back to a director that I think we've talked about a few different times. Uh, I think. It's a similar name, but different director. Uh, so James Wong, not... I'm thinking James Gunn, aren't I? No. Or I, I, when I first thought I was thinking of Juan, who did the Conjuring ones. Yeah, okay. That's, that's what It's it not is. that person. <laughs> and you can tell when you watch it. Even when I was watching, I was like, wow, this must have been an earlier film. <laughs> but no, it's not yeah. that guy. Um, equally as good, but you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so James Wong... Uh, has been nominated for six primetime Emmys and has six other award wins and nominations for his work on The X-Files and Space Above and Beyond. Final Destination appears to be his first film directing job, followed by Final Destination 3, not 2 of note. And he also has done a real-life version of Dragon Ball. My husband and my kid are super into anime and like Dragon Ball together. That's one of the things they bond over. It's adorable. Uh, he did four episodes of The X-Files. And before directing, he was also a writer and contributed to the 1986 Trick or Treat movie, two episodes of the Rosemary's Babies miniseries, and some of the American Horror Stories episodes. That's cool. Now I'm serious. I'm curious about this Trick or Treat movie because I didn't know there was a 86 one. I also Googled it. Because I was like, that's definitely not the one we talked about already, right? Because <laughs> that one's trick or treat. This is trick or treat. Gene Simmons in it. My God. <laughs> uh, James Wong is another one who I think works with a lot of the same people over and over. Um, so some of the actors we'll talk about he's worked with before. Like in Space Above and Beyond, he won a lot of awards for that. And so some of the actors and stuff are from that. And then one of the writers... One or two of the writers he works with a lot on different things. It's totally an 80s movie. Trick or Treat. Just the cover of the Trick or Treat movie from the is a total 80s. Just screams 80s. It screams 80s, bro. Like, it, big hair, uh, studded leather. <laughs> like, just the way it's fully designed, it screams 80s. What I was the, uh, the Lost Boys kind of 80s? Kind of. I'm going to send you a photo of this because it is, it's fucking outrageous. This is hilarious. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, probably a movie that I won't ever see in my lifetime. Oh, God. Told you. Kareem's 80s. Interesting. We will, uh, yeah, we'll share it and uh, see if anyone's seen it. Yeah, I'm curious. There's like a half-naked lady whose head looks, looks like she's missing her neck. It's very odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Now I feel like obligated to watch that. <laughs> I am not gonna watch it, but people can tell me exactly how how it is. That's cause... even better. If you send us your review, we will include it at the end of Final Destination Two. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, but this movie was written uh, by James Wong, Glenn Morgan, and Jeffrey Riddick. Uh, so, you know, they had a good teamwork going on. In addition, uh, James Wong's work, uh, Glenn Morgan has written for uh, the 2006 remake of Black Christmas and a TV show called Lore and the Twilight Zone, which the new Twilight Zone is really cool if you haven't seen it. I have a quick question. Um, the 2006 yeah. one, is that the college student one? Yes, or, or I believe so. Is that the one before that? One, I, I want to say this is the one with uh, Michelle Trachtenberg. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the one with Michelle Trachtenberg. Yes, it is. So, yeah, that's it's the one that we talked about. I'm sorry. They're all college student ones. That was the point of Black Christmas. Um, Was yes. it the one where they were, like, texting emojis of the pigs at the beginning? And it's, like, some weird feminist cult thing? Um, that's the newest one, right? That. I would assume that's the one that I haven't seen yet because there's like seven Black Christmases that have been made. We covered three of them. Um, maybe that was the one you hadn't seen. All right, go ahead. You can keep reading. I'll look. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Jeffrey Riddick is also praised for creating the Final Destination series, which he's contributed to the story and written for one and two, and is credited for creating the characters for three through five. Uh, he's done Return to Cabin of the Lake, Tamara, Day of the Dead, Dead Awaken, The Final Wish, and the Netflix TV show for kids called Tale, Dark, and Drim. Tale, so, Dark, and Drim. I've seen that one. Um, I thought it was like a cute show for Connor. Uh, and in episode one, I think it's like a Hansel and Gretel story. And the kids push the witch off the top of the roof and she lands on a broken candy cane and it like spears her through the center. It's fucking dark, <laughs> but it's good. It's good, but so it's like not necessarily meant for children. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell if it is like made for children of people like us who were just like love the dark and creepy. And so their kids are maybe more equipped for the violence um, or if it's like for adults. Um, I, I have no idea, but it's dark. It was good to get netflix again i lost my netflix and so i've got to figure out if i if it's worth it i'm waiting for season five of stranger things to come out for me to get my netflix back <laughs> it's like the main reason i want it and then i'll probably get rid of it again 2019 was the remake i was thinking of for black christmas oh, okay. that's what i thought but I, I wanted to double check uh yeah the 2006 one is the one with michelle trachtenberg you right uh he is also uh he has some acting credits, which include 13 Slays Till Christmas, uh, which is a 2020. Um, and it was a part called A Christmas to... No, wait. You're right. A Christmas yeah. to... Yeah, A Christmas to Decem Dismember. That's so hard to say. <laughs> I know. Your brain immediately says December, like but December. it's not. Um, and also a film called Deathcember. Apparently, he really likes Christmas horror movies. Um, well, now we know what we need to do this December. I guess, uh, yeah, what we're gonna, well, you can see how well, how well these are done. This is a 2020 movie. I'm assuming the budget's incredibly low. A Christmas to Dismember. I want to see the fucking photo. No, so the film is called 13 Slays Till Christmas. And then I'm thinking it's an anthology, um, which has a bunch of shorts in it. And he's in A Christmas to Dismember. And then he's in another film called Death Sember. For a segment called All Sales Fatal. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're really like their puns. 
very very low budget movie you can um it's it's a 3.3 out of 10 star rating on imdb um and uh yeah christmas to dismember looks very shoddy i feel like that's the standard for christmas movies at this point that are horror films um except for like krampus yeah, Krampus. Krampus just stands out among the like anything with. It's, it's just, just such a good Christmas movie. It's based off such a great story, um, and every, all the other Christmas ones are like, you know, they're punny and weird or goofy or like what was the oh, shit? What was the axe one? The very first one we did. That one's actually okay as far as a it like stands out as its own thing. One. Oh, the robot Christmas. The robot Santa. No, the very first Christmas movie we did. The robot. Oh, God murderer kid not the robot i just said that because you just said that my brain is also shutting down uh and there's a garbage he's like it's garbage day it was definitely a listener request i can't remember what it was it's it's long gone in the head of i also like i get christmas movies man i have like a set few christmas movies and like horror christmas movies and then anything else i kind of forget but also, uh, when I believe it's Riddick, when, when he was 14, he wrote a prequel for A Nightmare on Elm Street and mailed it to the president of the New Line Cinemas, uh, which ended up turning it into his first job in the movie business. And he has uh, a win for the Boobs and Blood International Film Festival as the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award, and in 2016, he won a Shriekfest Award for the film Stay Awake. Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, yeah, I erased that from my head. I fucking... <laughs> <laughs> that, that movie, as soon as I watched it, it's like one of those movies where you know how you watch it, and you, like, you walk out of the theater, or you like turn off the movie, and you're like, I don't remember anything about this movie. I... That's, that's that movie to me. I remember the first one. I just don't remember the second one. Or the right, third or fourth or... Really- know it's filmed in utah and i've watched it for christmas and i'm never watching it <laughs> um, but sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i was totally no, listening <laughs> i wonder what his sequel was uh based off like what his storyline was i want to know what boobs and blood international film festival looks like <laughs> uh, is it just like the they have from horror movies? they have very high standards i'm sure um, i hope so from the cover of it this trick-or-treat might have been submitted in the 80s um (laughs) maybe i i have no information about this boobs and blood stuff (laughs) oh man okay well Um, that's that but i think just to make it clear jeffrey riddick is the one most strongly associated with the creation of this uh he's he's the one who came up with the story uh and the idea for it he said that he first came up with it while he was working on the x-files because he thought it would be just like a cool episode that they could do as a one-off uh and he said that I pulled it just to reference it, I guess, from an article in Den of Geek where they did a interview. That's the word. An interview with we them. Are, 
are so on top of this. Have you ever like not been able to think of a word, but then you're like, hey, how do I describe this word so that other people can tell me what the word is? And then you're like, I don't know how to describe this word. Yeah. 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 And But it's like the, one of the most like common basic words. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. 100%. Um, but it also was inspired while he was on a flight back to Kentucky. He said, I read a about a woman who was on vacation and her mother told her not to take the flight she was planning to take home as she had a bad feeling about it. The woman changed it and the plane she was supposed to be on crashed. That gut feeling, it's its real. Trust your gut feeling. I've had many a situations where I'm like, this just doesn't seem right and something goes wrong. And we'll go into kind of like the theories and stuff like that a little bit later. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah it's definitely there's definitely lots of people around the world who have had you know like this kind of gooby feelings from yeah something as small as like i feel like i forgot something to you know don't get on the plane it's gonna crash so (laughs) it's real i no one can explain it but it's there intuition uh, Shirley Walker is uh, was the composer on this film. She has also composed music for most of the DC comic TV shows, um, like the classic ones. Uh, also, a Goofy movie, which Izzy and I would sing religiously while we were snowboarding. It's and one of my, my husband, favorite workout. Uh, my, my husband still s- continuously listens to it too. Oh yeah, Light is like his favorite human in the world. It's the first song on my workout mix, and it gets me so pumped. Not surprising at all. I got um, whatever Ali- it takes. So stand out. We used to scream it off the chair, like the chairlift going up the mountain. You and can't. got the weirdest looks from people. You can't not scream that. It's oh, so good. I also cannot sing it well because I can't hit that particular right. no, octave no. that he does. Right. No, but I love remember. it. I love that. Uh, she's also done stuff for Cujo, The Fox and the Hound, which, dear God, if you want to cry, watch that fucking movie. Uh, National National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, TMNT, Edward Scissorhands, Backdraft, um, and she also has a song on the Bob's Burger movie album. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I love the uh, album for Edward Scissorhands, so that's not surprising that I really enjoy her and most of her other stuff. She's worked on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. This film was also awarded the best performance by a young actor, which is Allie Larder, who I fucking love. Uh, She won the Young Hollywood Awards for Female Breakthrough Performance, and I've always stood by loving her. She's in Resident Evil and everything like that, and I just think she's phenomenal. So we're going to present these films a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, Basically, these movies are just like one very detailed graveyard it's just like one death flowing into another and so that's how we are going to present it as a graveyard and after the graveyard detailing each chain reaction of death we will share our theories reddit theories articles whatever the hell i found as well as those found throughout the internet i just said that about death and the premonitions but Uh, So for this one, we're going to talk about the premonition theories. And then in Final Destination 2, we'll talk about the death aspect of it all and kind of like how death's uh, Death's plan. Yeah, death's plan plan. because it builds on the first one. So it makes more sense. 
So, uh, if you ever seen these movies, if you haven't seen these movies, like never seen them, pause right now and go watch them. First off, they're really good, but basically, the premises of each movie starts with like high school students having to deal with some sort of premonition of a horror, horrific and traumatic event that causes deaths of themselves and a lot and a few others or a bunch of others. And then right before the event takes place, they uh, freak out. So they create a scene to warn everyone and save a handful of people in the process. Uh, and then which uh, ends up meaning that they cheated, they cheated death. And so the group of su survivors then spends the rest of the film trying to determine the other, the order that they will die in, thus avoiding the, uh, the Rube Goldberg machine-like deaths uh, that are put in place by uh, death himself. And each film presents a specific twist that is meant to build on the underlying premise of Death's plan. Uh, so for this first one, it's pretty straightforward. But yeah. So the first Final Destination mass death event was a plane explosion of Flight 180 that occurred shortly after takeoff due to a deterioration of an electrical line, which was leaking something, which affected a fuel line, which caused an explosion, like shortly after takeoff. This premonition was had by a high school student, Alex Browning, who was on a high school class trip to France on May 13th at 9.25 p.m. I feel like, so there's a lot of numbers, like, they focus in on numbers a lot in this film, and I cannot figure out if there's a significance to the numbers, because... Like the one, uh, mainly, I think the number, well... Like, which numbers are you talking about? Just any numbers throughout the film. They always focus in on any of the numbers. And I'm, like, trying to figure because, out what they represent. they're all 180. They all connect with 180. But they don't all connect to 180, which is why well, it bothers me. Because <laughs> number one, or number, so flight 180 is number one. Number two is highway 180. Okay, but I'm talking about just this film. Just this film, every time they show a number, whether it's a clock, an address, yeah, yeah. a time, they all, like, zoom in, right? Yeah. But I get, so they, some of them are super significant, like you just said. There's Flight 180, May 13th is the 13th of May is 1350, so 180 if you add them together. Um, 925, I don't know why that part is important. I mean, I guess... No, I don't know. I got nothing. Um, But then they like, there's clocks and stuff. And I'm always like, because we are who we are. And like in the last film we did, someone had figured out like, oh, there's seven levels of hell. And that's why that number, it's seven days and four because this, that, and the other. Like, those are the things I want to find. And in this movie specifically, I'm like, nothing is by accident. Every single thing is put there for a reason. And so it blow it bothers me so much that I can't figure it out. But that's, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, a lot of them are related to 180, but then other ones, I'm like, I don't know why that number's significant. Yeah, um, that's fair. But uh, just, like, a quick side note that I found also in that article by Den of Geek. Um, it turns out that this film kind of got shit on a little bit by critics because it had a lot of similarities to an explosion of flight 800 um off of which occurred off of east i don't know how don't don't ask me i don't know how to pronounce that more it's either morix or morichis long island new york in 1996 so only like a few years prior to when this movie 
would have been shot, written, and came out, uh, where 16 students and five adults died. And then in this interview, uh, Riddick is quoted as saying, I realized later they used footage from a real-life crash, which I wasn't particularly happy about. And this footage is shown near the beginning of the film where they show the wreckage in the news where they're like sifting through the wreckage uh and it did come from that 1996 crash which i didn't know either which is pretty fucked up it is super like creepy to watch that part because you're especially like i'm sure as a survivor um you're like oh my gosh that could have been me and it's so dark and eerie and yeah uh it is moritius by the way i did look it up of the pronunciation because i do have i have to do that a lot because i even screw up like band names <laughs> and i'm like shit people should just spell things straightforward and then it wouldn't be a problem <laughs> everybody out there is like you should just learn how to read and it wouldn't be a problem <laughs> but when things don't sound like the way that they're supposed to be read then it gets really confusing yeah that's like trough and tough like they they're basically spelled the same but they're pronounced differently yeah. Go fuck yeah. yourself. That's what I have to say. Go fuck yourself, English. Uh, in this film, in the crash, sorry, there were 287 total deaths. 44 were from Alex's class alone. That's a huge class trip. Yeah, for real. And I think there were only like two adults. There were two teachers taking them. So that's two. That's 22 kids per student or per teacher. That's that's a shit ton. It's a lot. And then when Alex had his premonition and got people off the plane, whether by accident or by purpose, uh, he prevented the deaths of six others, leaving seven survivors total, including himself. Among those were six students and one teacher. And Alex later discovers that the survivors are dying in the order they would have died on the plane and has little visions and clues of how each person is going to die prior to them dying, which is part of like the death design, premonition, the whole premise of this film. So, without further ado, the graveyard. Uh, the first death is Todd Wagner. He pl- he's played by Chad Don- uh, Donella, I believe. Uh, he's ha- he's had a lot of like one to two episode stints on TV shows and was in Saw 3D, Taken 3, and on a longer spot on the show Blind Spot, which I haven't seen. It's about uh, a woman who, sh- I think this is what it is. It's a woman who gets discovered and she's covered in tattoos but she has amnesia but it turns out her tattoos are clues to some bigger mystery and she works with like the cia or the fbi agents or something like that to solve this big international mystery okay all right well todd was alex's best friend and was not meant to die or and was meant to die on the flight 180 when a radio ends up hitting his head in the flight um, the sequence of events that causes his death are filled with like major anticipation, and it's also worth noting that this is the only Final Destination like where death presents as a visible shadow before each death. So like you can kind of see death coming in a way. Did um, you rewatch it and see that too? Yeah, I did. I, okay. I and I, I my husband even like were like yeah you didn't fucking notice this like you've watched this a thousand times and I was like no well they don't Sorry. do I'm pretty sure this is the only film they do that in and I it didn't is. remember it either because I had it that yeah in my head I guess there was like a huge debate between the production company I think and then the writer the writer gang 
Because the writers did not want death to be like a physical... Yeah. Yeah, or a ghost or anything like that. They wanted it to just be like these acts happening and you know that it's death causing it, but you can't see it or describe it, you know? Um, So I think that was probably their compromise for the first film was like, oh, what if it's just like some creepy ass little shadow or something? And then they just cut it out for the rest of them. (laughs) This is fucking dumb. We're not doing this again. Yeah, because they were probably like, yeah, you're right. It's better without it. So... Uh, so Alex's premonitions include, for Todd's death, include an owl flying at his window, which owls are my favorite animal. Um, I have a giant owl tattoo. But these are also seen as, like, typically seen as, like, the omen of inner wisdom, change, tra- change transformation, intuitive development, good luck, and self-actualization. I think Hecate, uh, the goddess, Hecate? is seen with an owl. That's, like, her... symbol i think one of the ways you identify her i also found that indigenous tribes have associated the owl with being a bridge between life and afterlife ancient egyptians saw the owl as a gatekeeper of the underworld and apparently like according to the age of egyptians what animal wasn't a gatekeeper of the underworld um it's been thought to represent the soul which is why they're like you're so wise and there are some who believe seeing an owl is an omen that someone is about to die. So literally any of those could have qualified for this film. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, while getting the owls and spooking the owl out of his room, his magazine gets shredded uh, by um, a, a fan. And a piece that has Todd's name lands on his lap. And so he's instantly like, Todd! Speaking of Fox and the Hound, that's all I can think of when I hear the name Todd. <laughs> um, that's the name of the fox, right? Yeah. I did not remember that. <laughs> I love Fox and the Hound. Um, but nevertheless, he takes off running. He, so, like, Todd, picked it up pretty quick. He was like, oh. Yeah, he, like, he was instantly like, Todd, it's it's Todd. Um. So Todd's death starts with him going into the bathroom for the evening and he there's like a little gust of wind that enters through the window, which is how death is presenting itself through the film. Um, kind of just like an unseen entity, even though you see the shadow. Uh, <clears throat> while sitting on the toilet, uh, the water control valve starts leaking and a puddle, it kind of like leaks a puddle through the room uh, that he completely doesn't notice, even though I feel like it's very noticeable. Um, yeah, but we're but not supposed to comment on that. Right. I don't know. I don't like leaks in my bathroom, so I'm, like, super hyper-aware of, like, any water that's on the floor. Um, but he then kind of nicks himself while he's shaving with the old-school razor and sees, uh, and sees what this film kind of portrays as death, which is a shimmer or shadow behind him in the mirror. And then he plugs in the radio and it starts playing the song Rocky Mountain High by John Denver, which I don't um, know a lot about John Denver, to be honest. Uh, <clears throat> and this also happens to be a song that's out al- that Alex uh, heard in the bathroom at the airport before having his vision. So there's like a little connection right there. So they call this a death song. Like if you Google it, it's the death song of this film. Um, some people have said there's like... A death song for every film, but 
this one is the only one where they make it super apparent and then in the second one they just do them like ironically because i think it's like a highway to hell but it's not like it plays every time someone dies but in this film i swear that song's playing almost every time someone dies uh, but this song is believed to have been chosen because john denver died in a plane crash on october 12th 1997. that's right i did know that about him <laughs> which is only one year after that initial plane crash that, yeah uh, the line, it keeps changing fast and it don't last for long, may be referring to how fast uh, death is taking the survivors out. It can also be referring to Flight 180 survivors who no longer uh, are safe from death, basically. Uh, there's a line that says, I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. Obviously, it explodes. And there's a line, the shadow from the starlight is actually... Some people have related it to death's appearance as a shadow. Somebody else, like, took apart this whole fucking song and said, this line is this, and this line is this, and it was too much. So I just pulled these ones. <laughs> yeah, pretty much you hear the song, and then Todd immediately dies. And he is getting ready to take a shower, slips on the water, which releases a clothing line, which I wonder how common those were. I don't... Pretty I... common back in the day. I mean, like, I've seen a lot of showers that actually had, like, the clothesline that would connect from one side to the other, and then you can disconnect it, but... It's like the, uh, when you, those line things where when you release it, it, like, snaps back. Um, it's like that, but a clothing line, and it manages somehow to wrap itself two or three times around his neck, and then he falls into the tub, and it, like, tightens, causing him to die in the tub. Yeah. This death always kind of bugged me because I'm like, if he had, like, just tried to calm down for a second and get his footing, he could have, like, been fine. <laughs> like, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> you understand that, like, yes, he was he was thrashing and so he was kicking the soaps and everything. But, like, if he had just calmed down for, like, a second before just starting to panic, he could have gotten his footing. He could have just got on his knees, stood up. He, there yeah. was a lot yeah, of this, stuff but that's so okay that's that's how todd dies um his official cause of death was asphyxiation by shower clothesline and deemed a suicide because uh death cleans up all the water that he uh slipped on uh, it just like all gets like sucked back up into the toilet <laughs> it's it's great um so you know what i never actually thought about it until you just said it that he could have probably just like stood up <laughs> and been fine <laughs> <laughs> I thought that since the first time I saw this movie, even when I was super little, I was like, if he just like cool, like chilled for two seconds and just like, like, con like, con uh, what is it called? Just brought himself together for a sec. He would have been able to like handle himself and stand up or, or like turn to get on his knees and use the faucet to help him up or anything like that. That's true. It is kind of like a theme in these films that the deaths are just like kind so outrageous. Yeah, they're meant to just be, like, the dumbest ways you yeah. can die, which is a TV series, which I feel a like... Ways, a Thousand Ways to Die. Yeah, they should have just clipped oh, man. that. Funny... Do I want to tell this story? Sure. There's an episode where they say, like, Thousand Ways to Die, and this lady was trying to masturbate with a broom, but it was too tall, so she's like, I'm going to get on top of the fridge... And then she slipped and it impaled her and she died. Oh, see, I was thinking about the one where uh, the girl was trying to, like, prep herself for giving a guy a blowjob with a fucking, uh, with, with a, with a zucchini. 
and she steps on a rake and it shoves the zucchini in her mouth and <laughs> and kills her by asphyxiation. I'm, I'm glad that we remembered similar themes for that show. <laughs> <laughs> the sex deaths. Uh. And it, moving on. Uh, we should uh, note that the this is when the mortician or coroner or whatever you want to call him named William Bloodworth enters at some point in this film and he is played by Tony Todd and he helps provide clues about death's design while being completely and utterly terrifying and unsettling. Always the best for using those kinds of voiceovers. Uh, you would know him, you'd recognize him from like Candyman, like the original Candyman and the second or the new one too, but uh, he's so, his voice is so haunting. He has 237 acting credits on IMDb, 18 that are coming up. I'm pretty sure like 200 of those are all horror related. Most of them, yeah. Uh, he was also in the TV series Flash, uh, Horror Noir, which I think was, um, it's kind of like a documentary about people of color in the horror industry. Uh, Scream the TV series and tons of others. He's won eight awards total for his work. Yeah, he's, he's pretty crazy. Uh, the next death is Terry Cheney. She's played by Amanda D- Det- Det- Detmer. Det- Detmer. <laughs> um, she was in things like Saving Silverman, Big Fat Liar, You, Me, and Dupree, and placed number 77 in Maxim's Hottest 100 in 2002. That's her claim to fame. 21 years ago. <laughs> oh my that makes yeah. her seem so old right now oh, right. she was she probably was, like 18 so she was the second to die on the flight by the um by the way of the explosion which happens right under her um and in and after their her her true death she's hit by a speeding bus which alex sees as a reflection in the coffee shop window prior to it happening and she it's one of those things where she's like fighting with her boyfriend steps off the curb and just and just you know just just a drive by bus that was probably the simplest least crazy death that happens i would agree i would agree um i also paused that part so many times because i was like oh was the bus number 180 (laughs) i was looking for those so hard i looked no i couldn't find any numbers so there's tons of articles in this film but they're really blurry so i could not get pictures of any of the articles i anything they didn't want you to read you weren't able to that's fair so valerie lawton mrs lawton or lawton if you're from utah and you don't pronounce your t's played by Kristen cloak or Chris, Kristen Coke, Cloak. Wait, hold on. Kristen Cloak. Happy almost birthday. Also, oh, yesterday, the day that we should have released this and didn't. August. Uh, what's the month? August twentieth, twenty twenty-three was James Marster's birthday. Beautiful human. Happy birthday. Beautiful. I hope human. you went for a walk, bitch. And five words or less. Had a great day. <laughs> Uh, if you understand that joke, thank God we can be best friends. We understand. If you didn't understand that, just 
fuck off. Just yeah. kidding, don't fuck off. Keep listening, but like, you <laughs> educate yourself with some Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just Google the gift for that. You'll be fine. You'll get it. It's, cute. it's so great. It's so it's so great. Uh, Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> she. Uh, she was born September 2nd. That was the whole moral of that story. She also played for another James Wong film or TV series. I don't remember what this is. Space Above and Beyond. And she was in the 2006 Black Christmas remake. Another Buffy reference because of Michelle Trachtenberg. It all goes full circle. It all comes back to Buffy every time. And she was also the narrator for the Choose Their Fate feature on Final Destination 3, which... I wish which so I have this. We'll do it because I've done it or I have it, but I haven't done it. Yeah, um, I was say I have. It. I, th- I thought we did it together back when I first bought the Final Destination three. Girl, I barely remember what I did yesterday. Nonetheless, That's twenty fair. years ago. So. Fair. Yeah, I totally have that. That choose their fate feature is fucking hilarious. Yeah, whenever we do three, we'll go through it. Uh, but she and there were. Uh, sorry. So Mrs. Lawton, she was the teacher that survived. By the way. She and the remaining on the list were originally meant to die by burning alive post-plane explosion. They just get incinerated. That's how the rest of them die. Alex sees fiery flakes fly in front of him while walking home. And there are lots of symbolism, deaths, and clues in all the scenes. But we are not going to go through every single one. But, for example, Mrs. Lawton's house, this is where I was talking about, like, Literally every single thing in this film is meant to represent something. But in Miss Lawton's house, her door has a dagger design on its window. uh, And then she backs into it. The door also has strong reds and oranges in it, which is possibly echoing the fact that the house sets on fire. And the woman in Alex's TV before he went to Valerie's house said, that's a huge knife set. And all of that comes into play in the way she dies. Um, Additionally, throughout the film each character is either told they're gonna die or says something about dying right before they die <laughs> yeah. uh but miss lawton has so, go like, ahead it's also good to mention that she's utterly fucking terrified of alex at this point yes she calls the fbi when she sees him lurking outside her house even though he's like trying to save her uh she thinks that he's basically just like a salem witch reincarnated i don't know i don't know what she thinks but whatever uh, it's not like <laughs> she has the wildest sequence of events yes. for her death and because at this point you are so built up expecting like guessing how people are going to die that they create 15 different ways they could have died and none of them lead to their death so the whole time you're like oh uh, uh, and then it doesn't happen it. oh no okay what about that oh uh, no yeah you're like oh she's yeah. gonna electrocute oh nope not that one. Oh, oh she's gonna nope not that one so it's fun that's part of the reason yeah. I like these films. But it starts with a breeze, of course, through a closed window, oddly enough. She puts the John Denver death song on the recorder. That's what that called? The spin table? The record player? There you go. I don't know why I put recorder. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. <laughs> or you could call it a turntable. Okay, what she said. Uh, she does that. She goes and fills up a tea kettle. And in the kettle, she actually sees death's reflection. And when she puts the kettle on the gas stove, the flame goes out. So she relights it. And at that point, you're like, oh, she's going to explode. And she doesn't. But then something spooks her. She tosses her freshly poured tea and fills it with alcohol instead. As we've talked about, what else are you going to do when you're completely traumatized and terrified? 
drinks yourself to death. Uh, the mug she uses is leaking and tracks alcohol through the house as she walks around packing. Another thing that I feel like people would have noticed, but neither here nor there. It also gets into her desktop computer, which explodes, causing a shard to impale her in the neck. And while she's trying to control the bleeding, she causes the trail of alcohol to light on fire, which causes her kitchen to explode, knocking her down. And when she's trying to pull a kitchen towel down, this is another moment where all she had to do was like stand up. Uh, I know. Down. Uh, she. Okay, sorry. She's reaching for a kitchen towel, which is sitting on top of her knife block so that she can put it on her bleeding neck wound. Uh, but she ends up tipping the knives and knives and one of them lands in her like diaphragm. And then her oven explodes, causing a chair to land on her and pushes the knife even further, much like the zucchini in the back of the float throat with the yeah. rake. The rake. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then it pushes it the rest of the way in, and then the whole house explodes. And that's how she dies. Yeah. Hers was kind of crazy. Uh, it's noted that the official cause of death was a stab wound to the diaphragm by a kitchen knife, because Alex is in the house at that point, and she is dead. Um, the whole house exploding was probably just a way for death to, like, clean up his mess, quote-unquote. Um, Leave no trace. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's hers. Hers is wild. So, the next one gets a little bit different. So, Carter is supposed to be the next person that dies, but Alex saves him, and unfortunately, which leads to Billy Hitchcock's death, who is played by the very recognizable Sean William Scott, most well-known for his part on American Pie as Stifler. Um, he, that, the, that role really launched him into, like, the stupid comedy movie genres, uh, which included, you know, Dude, Where's My Car, Evolution, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Role Models... Uh, he's also the voice of Crash in the Ice Age films, and I think he's just a funny-as-shit human, to be honest. He is. I really like him. So, he, unfortunately, is decapitated by a piece of the car that gets hit by the train. Um, it, he's <laughs> My favorite is he's like, see? It skipped me! I'm fine! And uh, then the train wheels uh, kick up a piece, and it just flies and decapitates him right then and there. Yeah, it's um, like they do like a really elaborate one, and then they do a quick one that you kind of like, like don't see coming. Yeah, it's just super. Oh. You're you're so you're so like focused on Carter and how he survived that you're not like, oh, it skips him immediately. It but like it skipped him immediately and just went straight into Billy's death, which I think was kind of cool. But it was a great twist. Um, it was because like you are expecting like the tiny little things to build up to it, and there were no premonitions for how he was gonna die. I don't think and no it just like happened so fast death was like all right you're gonna save him fuck you <laughs> um fun fact while he's looking up at the plane while it's taking off the reflection of the plane is shown across his face like in in the window and uh it's flying in a line right where there uh, is a piece of car shrapnel that like decapitates him later on i don't know if the word is decapitates because technically it goes through half his head um, but that's what I'm... Partial decapitation? Yeah, maybe. But that's, like, nearly headless Nick. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't know. But either way, it cuts his it's head in half. His head off. Yeah. Um, and somebody caught that when they rewatched it, that the little shadow goes right through where he gets murdered. 
yeah killed i don't know is it murder if you're meant to die i don't know but uh, yeah yeah that's a good thought uh the next one is carter horton who play who's played by car smith uh, he will forever and ever be known as Agent Brody from Charmed, who uh, dies tragically. Uh, it was so weird to see him being like a bully athlete when he's like right? such a good guy in Charmed. And he's like a he's like a cop in Charmed. He's an FBI um, agent. Yeah. Yeah. He won an award in two thousand in two thousand one for his part in Dawson's Creek as. Um, he was also in My Bloody Valentine and smaller roles and a bunch of other things. His kiss with Adam Kaufman in episode 323 called True Love of Dawson Creek. Dawson's Creek. It was the first ever gay male kiss on primetime television. So he made a history doing that for sure. Which bringing it back to Buffy. Uh, Buffy's also been pretty noted yeah. for their openness with LGBTQ yeah, with, yeah. scenes. Uh, so, he, originally, Carter was supposed to die in that train accident before Billy, but he was saved by Alex, who sees it coming in the forms of clues, like that a broken seatbelt and a train. Uh, the reflection of the train Alex sees out his window uh, has the number 747, which is the type of plane that 180 was. So, you know, just kind of connecting numbers again. See, that's what I mean. Everything has a meaning. Yeah. So it so, bothers me when I can't figure out what the meaning is. <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, eventually, death comes back around and always claims his prizes. Uh, he dies in Paris by getting hit by a cafe... Uh, I think it's Cafe Miro? Miro? Uh, I makes an E sound. So Miro? Miro? Uh, it's an 81 sign and it reads 180 backwards. Fun fact. Um, uh, it's actually Cafe Miro. <laughs> if you, you know, get a... Wait. Cafe Miro. <laughs> I'm sick. Maybe this will work. Cafe Miro. Miro. You gotta get that in there. <laughs> that was like one thing that like the French, like all my French teachers were like, can you do this? It's like the first day of class. I know. Our French teachers were like, you need to add a little more nasally to it. And I was like, I can't. I just. Um, a man is singing the death song in French while they're out there uh, enjoying the cafe before he dies. And just before the accident that causes his death, Alex sees a butchered piece of meat. Which, um... Someone I, said I, that I was a clue, but I was like, it's I just meat. I wouldn't connect that, yeah. I wouldn't have made that connection at all. But that's how I felt about him seeing the, like, the ashes, the embers from the fire yeah. he was like oh shit she's definitely gonna burn alive but i'm like i yeah. see those all the time at my house because everyone's burning shit in their backyards we live in the country so i don't know he just like has he sees things and just immediately is like that is a sign because that's what his like intuition is telling him but that's the point is like it's everyday things that he picks up on and the rest of us are like dude it's like just it's fine you be all right <laughs> i'm the fuck down that brings us to clear rivers I definitely thought her name was Claire until I read her name doing these no. notes. Claire. I did not pick up on the Claire part. They, well, they say it more like Claire anyway. But, I mean, after I heard it, or I read it, I picked up Claire more. But yeah. it definitely sounds like Claire if you're not, yeah. I guess, paying attention like I apparently wasn't. Yeah. Um, but she's played by, as Katie said, the beautiful Allie Larder. Love her. Uh just a quick fun fact the 
writer Riddick, he said he had wanted Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst to play the two leads. But New Line Cinema, who produced this, they were like, nah, let's get some like new but up-and-coming faces. So that's how we got these two. I couldn't imagine Tobey Maguire in it. Um, no, no, nor Kirsten Dunst, honestly. I, I couldn't see either of them in this movie. I don't think Kirsten Dunst would have done a bad job, but I think Allie Larder plays more of like a, I don't know, she's kind of like a bohemian, like, I believe in supernatural things. Yeah. She plays that part better than I think I could I imagine Kirsten Dunst doing. But one of my favorite roles for Kirsten Dunst is the film where it's like a whole bunch of sisters that all commit suicide on the same night um it's a dark film so she's pretty good at like those dark creepy things i don't don't even know what movie you're talking about it's a good one it's older um and then of course she's in even when she was a kid she was in uh interview with a vampire and she plays like a dark creepy uh, vampire kid but um she's a phenomenal actress so i don't think she would have not done a good job but i do really like ali larder in this role Oh, the Virgin Suicides. I do know this movie. There you go. Okay. Um, but Ali Larder is first. I'm sorry. Ali Larder is Clear Rivers. <laughs> uh, did we already go over the parts that she's in? I think at that point I had given up and I was like, I'm just going to fucking pull up IMDb. She's been in a lot of stuff uh, from Resident Evil to. Uh... She's in Heroes. Yeah. And she's in a movie with Beyonce that she oh, is uh, super sexy yeah. in. So good. Yeah, it's called obs- uh, Obsession. Obsessed. Obsessed. Obsessed or Obsession? One of those. I think. I don't know. She's in a bunch of really good stuff and she's gorgeous and she's amazing. And I, she looks the same as she did when she was in this movie. So. Yeah, she, she does not age. It is Obsessed, by the way. She's also in Legally Blonde. Is she? She's defendant she's the one that gets uh oh yeah she's a oh fuck what's her name i just watched this i love legally blonde i don't know tell you just a second uh brooke taylor windham she's like you know i would never sleep with a pool guy i just like watching him clean the filter (laughs) and then talking about how long perms take and how you're not supposed to fucking watch (laughs) wash them off anyways um She's in a lot of stuff, and she actually has a couple new shows coming in. She's in the new Creep show, uh, which is kind of cool. But the last obsession or the last victim, which came out in twenty one, and the Hater in twenty twenty two. She's got the Man in the White Van coming up, and Spin the Bottle. I've never heard of any of those. Those ones are just upcomings. There's nothing else. Uh, Spin the Bottle, a story of a group of teenagers in a small town in Texas who unleash a deadly force after playing a famous game of uh, in an abandoned house where a grisly massacre took place. You know Man what? In the white- Kids' games are becoming like a theme for scary movies. You know, they're doing yeah. like Escape Room, Truth or Dare was a big one. Um, Spin the Bottle, I guess now. They should do Seven Minutes in Heaven, but it's Seven Minutes in Hell instead. Nice. Practically uh, writes itself. The man in the white van in a quaint family town in Florida, 1974, an ominous white van stalks a young girl and her parents' disbelief leads to terrifying Halloween nightmare. Those are what she's coming out in. So, so a couple of different scary movies. She's great in scary movies. She was also in the remake of House on Haunted Hill um, in 1999. 
I remember she's that. Survivor in that one. Also um, has James Barsters in it. And uh, yes. happy birthday. Yeah, beautiful human. Okay, that's... I could go on about Allie Larder for days, so I'm just going to close that tab now. Go on. <laughs> close that tab. Uh, so first she's saved from being impaled by a clothesline pole. Then she's nearly electrocuted by a fallen power line in a puddle of water. And then she manages to survive a car explosion. And in that whole... That's all like one scene, essentially. Um, and death at this point is switching kind of like back and forth between people and somehow yeah. they're all surviving but then you're like or is it switching back and forth and it's all part of his one plan for just her who knows some people think it's switching back and forth because while this is happening to her alex browning is like running through the woods and almost dies a couple times but if that were the case it would have jumped back to carter right that's his name um, and you never see you never see him getting anything happening no. to him. So I think this is all just one big elaborate thing for clear. Um, but because she's paying attention, oh, I just deleted stuff. I hit it with my arm. I'm sorry. I'm emphatically talking with my hands, as we always do. But yeah, so just to say that because I did read in some places where they were like, oh, it's switching back and forth, but it's not. This is all her master plan. And it's worth uh, noting that no animals were harmed in the making of this <laughs> death. True. She true. saves her puppy. She does. Uh, the next one is Alex Browning, who is played by Devin Ta- Tawa, I believe it is. Tawa? Tawa? Couldn't tell you. He started his career uh, in the the film Casper in 1995 as the as, as Casper, the friendly ghost himself. And uh, I didn't connect that until just now. And... Um, uh, when I was little, I had a crush on Casper when he comes back as a human for a moment to dance with Christina Ritchie, and now I see it. I see it clearly. Well, that's because Casper is a friendly ghost, and we were taught to like nice guys, and... <laughs> true, it's true. We don't have uh, daddy issues, so... <laughs> so, that his largest fil- part after Final Destination that we could recognize was in the show Nikita, he was also in The Exorcism of Molly Hartley and the Chucky TV series, which I still haven't fully watched yet. I did get a new Chucky knife, though, from from Spirit Halloween, and now it's on my wall. Fun, fun fact. Spirit. It is six months out, so they should be open. So, Alex manages to survive being electrocuted while saving Clear. I think the FBI agents do CPR and bring him back or something like that, and he goes to the hospital. And then when they're in Paris, he ends up dodging a bus, which is why it jumps, I guess, back to whatever his name is, Carter. Oh, oh no. Oh, okay. Sorry. My mic wasn't picking up for a second. I was like, shit, did something happen? Sorry. My bad. My bad. You good. Um, I read somewhere, I don't know where this information came from, and maybe it, it shows up in the second film, and I haven't quite done the deep dive into that one notes-wise yet. But somewhere it says that he dodged seven attempts by death, um, and he was number seven on the list. Those are things we know. And he went on with Clear to dodge many more over the years. It says Alex... Well, not over the years. Sorry. It says Alex died three months after Carter's death. So they get back to the States. Somehow they were brave enough to get back on a plane, even though death yeah. is after them. <laughs> nope. Nope. Oh, fuck that. I would not get on a plane after that kind of shit. 
uh, and he dies by being impaled by a brick in the eye. And someone noted, oh, his parents' house is made of brick. Uh, so he might have died there. But I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs barking. I think someone might be at our door. Um, but yeah, I don't know where they got that information from. Um, but that's what the internet says happened. Uh, Alex died, it says, on the same day as his birthday, September 25th, which was also the time of the 180 flight, 9.25 p.m. Okay, I see the connection now. So, but that's not in the film. I just found that online. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I don't think it would actually say, like, I don't think it's ever said his birthday. And so that would be. It does. In the very beginning, the flight attendant says, Oh, your birthday is September 25th, the same time as your flight. Oh, so it's like a full connection. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they point it out. That one. Well,. The one death we didn't talk about because it didn't happen is Clear Rivers. She is the survivor that ends up surviving and makes an appearance in Final Destination 2. And the way she survives is pretty fucking sad, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know if I just want, I think I would just choose death at that point. <laughs> um, uh, but that's a talk for another episode. Yeah. The there one. is a 3 to 7 ratio in this film, or 57% of the survivors die the first time. My dogs are going fucking nuts. Can you hear them? I can. Okay, give me a second. I'm going to pause for a second. They stopped I would a second. Laugh, I, would laugh, I would laugh so hard if they stopped or started up right as you put your fucking headphones on. They probably will. Uh, three to seven ratio, uh, or 57% of the survivors died the first time, so they had no chance. And basically, there's a 100% survival rate for pets. That's what we got so far. Oh, pets. We love them. And then the research for this film is really short, brief, and to the point. It's about the premonitions because everything serves a purpose in these films. And so the very beginning of the film kicks off with Alex sleeping. The whole intro is like his room while he's sleeping. And there's a breeze through his window so you know death is there. Uh, You see shadows of hanging figures, which is how... Todd died. Uh, There's a whole lot of fan, which I couldn't figure out the importance of that, except maybe a a propeller. I don't know. That's Um, the third one. That's the third movie. Sorry. Well, planes have propellers. but Oh, I guess that's fair. But it's not like a big part of the... You're right. It's not emphasized as the way that it exploded or anything like that, right? So I don't really know why they focus on the tail fan thing so much um couldn't tell you i don't know uh there is a picture of a knife in someone's chest in his room which is how the teacher dies and then during the opening credits uh he's looking at a book of french history and there's a picture of a guillotine which is the one guy was half decapitated um, he's flipping th- or like the book flips through pages of French history um, and they show James Morrison's gravesite who is buried in France. He died in 1971 and he was found dead in his bathtub. So just like Todd. Uh, and while boarding the plane, he sees the luggage cart go underneath. There's like that little crack between the walkway and the plane. Um, and he sees 
the luggage thing and it says 666 on the top of it big deal and those were the big things that i could find or that other people really pointed out um the james morrison gravesite thing i that was like like i was saying you can't really catch clearly some of the books and stuff that was the one thing that i could freeze on because it was in big bold letters (laughs) so i was like what does that have to do with anything yeah Um, that's fair but yeah, there's a whole lot of tidbits. The one thing I also couldn't figure out besides the fan was he's got a lot of monkeys in his room. And as far as I know, no one died of monkeys. So nope. who knows? Guess he just likes monkeys. Um, he has one of those monkeys that has like the tambourine bonk things. Oh, like the like uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, he's got those things. What are they called? Couldn't uh, tell you. Symbols. Symbols. There you go. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think. Sounds legit. Um, so premonitions about the theories. No. Theories about the premonitions. Sorry. Um Yeah. Yeah. They so as far as I can tell, and as far as I read, the directors and the writers haven't been like, hey, this is how they get their the- their premonitions, which is beautiful. They shouldn't do that. They should just let us wonder. But here's what we've come up with. Um, Number one, it's a rival of death sending the premonitions to try and save these souls. Uh, I have doubts about this one, and here's why. One, why would they do that if death always wins? Uh, And two, it actually causes bigger problems in the end and puts other lives at risk. They're already marked for, like, they're technically already on death's list, so you're not really saving them because they're technically already supposed to be dead, which is, like, the premise of this film. Um, so if you're trying to just save souls, I don't know. Like I said, it just makes more problems because you create more opportunities for death to claim more people. That's my biggest problem with that. Um, and he generally has these premonitions accompanied with gust of wind thing which is death which so you're like oh that's not right um i guess pros for this is that it does cause whatever this premonition causing thing is it causes a leaf to fall in front of alex which allows him to bond with clear because he wasn't really bonding with her prior to that little weird encounter to flip the coin, it is the whole reason they go talk to the mortician and learn about death design to begin with. So that's not really helping them. No. Um, there's a theory that it's death giving the premonitions just because he's bored and just kind of wants to make it a game. Um, <laughs> Can you guess this one? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and then that's part of the reason the leaf fell is to pull them together to go talk to death or to go figure out death's design just to make things more interesting. The other part of that is that the mortician is death, that Bloodworth is actually death. And he is really creepy. Yes. Um, And that he is designing all of it to happen. And um, like you say, he's kind of just playing a game. And that's why he kind of pulls them together to come see him and then tells them little tidbits here and there uh there's another theory that the ability to have the premonition is passed on from survivor 
to Survivor, basically. And I tried to figure that theory out, but it was pretty far-fetched. Um, one of the ideas for it, you kind of have to watch all of them, I guess, to link them together. But there, like I said, there is a prequel they came out with that happened prior to this. Um, and they say that the survivor of that film passes it on to Alex. But I can't figure out where the link is between Alex and Kimberly and number two. Um, well, yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think there is any. So I can't. And there's no connection between Kimberly and uh, the third one either. Yeah, so it's, I don't. Like I don't that think one. that one. I don't like that. Yeah, the other ones, like, you can't argue against necessarily. Mm-hmm. This one I could definitely argue against. And then an obvious theory is that these specific individuals are just more sensitive than others. And mm-hmm. the clues for death are always there. They just have the ability to tune into it and pick them up. Um, oh. And in uh, interviews... Riddick has said that like one of their main takeaways for this film is that death is everywhere and death is always around so that kind of like fits for me sucks for everybody else but cool for them I guess <laughs> um, some more theories it's a side effect that's sometimes when death interferes with someone's fate Since it's not their natural death that's going to happen, maybe it ripples back in time and the affected see this as visions. So I don't remember if you... No, wait. Let me start this over. I don't know if you remember uh, when Mm -hmm. the parapsychology episode, that 30-minute one, go listen if you haven't. Uh, I found that... uh, It was like a journal of parapsychology uh, papers or something. And one of them was actually about premonitions. And the example that they gave was that a woman gets on a train, the train crashes, and it's so, she's, it's, she's like so affected by it, obviously, because she's dying, that it ripples back in time. And she, before she gets on the train back in time, she's, she has this feeling of, Something's going to happen. I should not get on this train. So she doesn't. And then it crashes. That's that idea. It's that like something so profound will happen that it imprints in time and you kind of pick that up. So like that feeling of, I think I forgot something, you know, that's where those come from. Your future self having something impact them. Damn. That's that idea. Yeah. Um, but again, then you question, like, why just them? Everybody died on that plane. So that comes back to, like, maybe they're just more sensitive or something. I don't know. Um, there's a person on Reddit called Azkabant. Mm-hmm. Which... That's... that's Harry, like po- Harry Potter something. I don't... I don't know. That's all I got. Maybe it's, like, maybe it's, like, Azkaban. Azkaban. Azkaban and... Uh, uh, and like, uh, like ranting. There we know. go. I don't know. I like it. I was trying to go with like as, as, like can't like the word can't, but it just wasn't coming together. So yours makes more sense. I like the ranting part. Anyways, this is on Reddit. 
They say that premonitions are information from the far future set back to try to avert disasters. The technology behind this information transfer is unknown, but ultimately important. Okay. Yeah. So they're saying like someone from the future is sending ripples back in time to prevent these disasters. But it's not preventing it, obviously, because only six people got off the plane. Seven. Seven people survived. So. Right. Um, but this one c- continues. It says, what is important is that due to the butterfly effect, the resulting changes prevent in the long term that same technology from ever being invented. This leads to a paradox, which the universe tries to correct by maximizing the probability that events lead up to approximately the same timeline. This person's brain is clearly on a totally different level than the rest of yeah. us. Real. Uh, some corrections are simple. People affected differently by the changed disasters and who, for example, and their grammar is so on point, by the way, may have missed a significant meeting, might find themselves making that meeting through sheer coincidence. Unfortunately, for the survivors of those disasters, the quote-unquote correction in question involves their very survival. Thus, we end up with the survivals dying in bizarre, apparently coincidental circumstances, death temporarily skipping a saved survivor is simply a matter of probabilities being reset. Coincidental events that lead to that survivor's death have to start building up again. This could take months. There are two ways in which the affected survivors might try to prolong their life. And that feeds more into the second film that we were going to talk to, but these ones are specific to this one, so I'm going to talk about them. Um, So then they go on to like theories about how to avoid death's thing, which we're going to talk about in the next episode after we talk about the second film. But basically, these people are just saying like something from the future is sending back ripples to stop these things. But in the end, it probably doesn't matter because some people will get to what they're doing anyways, blah, 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 blah. But Yeah, that was their theory, is technology from the future. Damn the future. (laughs) Damn the future. Yeah, they're not clearly doing a very good job, so. But also, one of the main rules of, like, future technology in every sci-fi is you cannot do anything to the past, because you risk fucking up the future. Yep. I think we've seen that a lot in Family Guy. (laughs) Yeah. Family Guy, Marvel charmed it's all over the place buffy never does time traveling which is interesting yeah yeah that's true they do like they do do like alternate realities like but not flashbacks but they don't do like actual time time travel and stuff yeah Yeah, there's no like witchery afoot that causes a change no all right and then to round out this episode There is an alternate ending for this film, and it's in the uh, deleted scenes, actually. Um, There's three deleted scenes on my version. I don't know if there's more out there. And all of them are related to things that were cut for this alternate ending. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one is Alex and Claire banging it out by the lake instead of having a conversation about how her dad dies. Uh, the second one is her having a pregnancy, a positive pregnancy test. It's like 30 seconds. She just has it. Okay. Um, I don't know where in the film that was supposed to happen, but it's in there. Um, 
And then the third one, it starts with the scene where Alex is getting electrocuted. But he actually gets electrocuted and then blown up. So he dies, saving Claire's life. Claire's life, Mm. right? So he dies in this version. And then it jumps forward nine months. And Claire is giving birth to a boy born May 13th at 925. The same day and time as the original Flight 180. She takes the baby home and there's this breeze that comes through the window and over the baby's crib. Uh, And she's like, hey, Alex, how are you? She's not like, this is death. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it jumps to Carter and her. So Carter's still alive in this reality. Meeting at the memorial site for the high school students. And then they have like this conversation. And that's basically it. So in the alternate ending... She's alive. She has a baby. Carter's alive. Somehow they, I guess, skipped death, which is something we'll talk about in the second film. And the gusts of wind are Alex and not death, according to Clear. Okay. But yeah, and then they play more into the May 13th, 925 time frame thing that they point out at the beginning. And that's pretty much it for the premonitions and this film. Pretty straightforward, um, but it's still, like, a unique film. It's a unique idea. And they also recently just announced that there will be a sixth one. My God. (laughs) Uh, There are teasers and articles that that came out, like, I think last week or the week before that for it, actually. Like, it's fresh. So 23 years after the first one, they are coming out with number six. So John Watts is set to direct it. He did Spider-Man Homecoming, Far From Home, Mm -hmm. No Way Home. He's producing Final Destination 6 with Diane McGinnigill. Okay. What a name. Uh, uh, (laughs) Uh, Sheila Hanahan Taylor and Craig Perry. Lori Evans Taylor is writing the script with Guy Busick, who is a co-writer for the new Scream movies. And they're working from a story and treatment that was written by Watts, John Watts. Um, I think Riddick is also giving input, but I don't think he's going to be a writer for it. Um, it. But he's aware of it. I don't know. He's talked about it in interviews. Hmm. Um, And then I guess producer Craig Perry recently teased that we will see a tattoo and piercing parlor sequence in this upcoming film. Oh dear lord, now you're going to make people scared to get piercing and tattoos again. Uh, They have not released what the mass event is going to be so I think when we get closer we should have a poll about what it's going to be before the trailers come out. Be fun. We could go through like what they've already done and kind of figure out like what they want to do next. Um, they, Riddick has also said they are bringing a new twist to the death plot of it all. So it will have something new to bring to this whole storyline. Oh boy. Um, so we'll see, I guess. But yeah, I, they haven't like, obviously they don't have a whole lot going on for it. So there's no release dates. Um, and then there's the whole writer, uh, writer strike right now. Yeah. The... Perfectly valid writer strike happening. So I'm assuming it's not going to be till maybe 2024, 2025. 
Yeah, it's pushing a lot of work back. I do know Beetlejuice 2 is in the works, though. Yes, I think I've seen a trailer for that, maybe? Not a trailer, yeah, but you... <clears throat> oh, just but like there's a behind-the-scenes photos, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Because it I has... to see them building the bridge and stuff like that it from has the Maitland. Jenna Ortega in it, right? She's the daughter. She's the daughter of Winona Ryder. Of Lydia Dietz. But, um... Yeah. So, in a week, you'll get Final Destination 2. We yep. are still working on the Patreon, which will be available in October, I think. Yes. Um, it's going to have lots of fun things. So, yay. And the merch is still available on our Etsy store, Open Past Midnight. Mm -hmm. You can find the candles referenced in the last episode. And... Uh, t-shirts with our logos and stuff on it um, things that we've referenced in other films so go check that out if you'd like uh, leave us reviews on whatever service you're on whether they're good or bad I'll take them fuck it and otherwise you can send us your next movie recommendation because we haven't picked that movie yet either uh, you can send it to our gmail at what's our gmail Cat. I forgot Okay, it's, it's horror cats with chats, all one word, at gmail.com. Yes, or you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram. It's at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. And yeah, pretty much as we've all decided, we're all just demons at this point. Um, we're all possessed. We figured that out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We, we took the test. We're all possessed. Yeah. Uh, so don't trip into any exorcisms don't send us curses if you didn't like it and please, please uh, don't do that yeah keep a lookout for death's clues i guess be wary of that gust of wind that is coming through the closed window <laughs> yes <laughs> if your closed window is spitting air at you maybe enter a padded room or something i don't know yeah no sharp objects or anything <laughs> yeah there you go but that is the first Final Destination. Very straight through. There's no cats. So, ruff, ruff. And, oh, and on that note. Meow. Meow.